you pray for them? Oh, thank you, Debbie. Okay, pray for us. Father God, I just thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you, Father, that your word says that your mercies are new every morning, God. So we uh, we hold on to that this morning, Lord. We thank you that our hope is in you and in you alone. And Father, I thank you that um, your word is alive and active, and that every time that that we go into it, Father, that you have something different for us, Lord, that we can see it with fresh and with new eyes, um, not in our own strength, but um, through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us, God. And your word also says that it does not return void, so we're just believing, Father, um, for just a fresh word this morning, Father, for wherever we find ourselves. So we thank you, God, um, for your word, and we thank you for your servant as he comes, Father, that you would strengthen him as he is your mouthpiece this morning, God, an extension of, of you here, Lord. And so we thank you, Father, for that. And I just pray as we move into this time, just worshiping you through music, Father, that um, we would be able to focus and fix our eyes upon you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Let your glory be known, it's our desire, just to know your need, Lord Jesus, you are welcome here, come on Lee.
Thank you, Father. Truly, you are holy. There's none like you, Lord. Father, in the stillness of your presence, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Father, for just this opportunity for us to gather, Lord, to to sit at your feet, to, to hear from your word, to be encouraged, to know, God, that you are for us and not against us. God, to know that you have a plan and a purpose for our life. To know, God, that you were pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son, Jesus. That, God, you first loved us. Your word declares that yet though we were completely in rebellion towards you and your kingdom, you loved us. And you draw us unto you. So I pray today, God, that we would be attentive to hear. God, that we would respond as you would lead us to, Father. To the convictions that, Lord, you would bring upon our hearts. God, that we truly would be people who were not just honor you with our lips, but God, truly we would be people that will honor you with our hearts and our lives. That we would represent such great love so that others would know who you are. So Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Morning to everyone. We're heading, before we go to Mark chapter 9, we're actually heading to Acts chapter 2. And I want to start here today because this is where Peter preaches basically for the first time. The Holy Spirit has just been given to them. The crowd is thinking that these disciples and these people who have been filled with the Holy Spirit are drunk. They can't understand what's going on. And Peter is about to address the crowd of people. And I want to start here today, because we're going, as we go into Mark, and as we've been going through Mark, we're seeing this inner turmoil, if you would, with the disciples. They're really unsure about, really, who Jesus is. His purpose. They have an understanding of the Messiah that would come. Remember, the Jewish people understood that there was a Messiah. There would be one that would come to deliver them. But remember, their thoughts, their understanding of the Messiah was just on the temporal basis. They were looking for someone to make their life better here and now. To free them from the Romans. They really didn't have a full understanding of truly who the Messiah would be. That his kingdom would be established and his kingdom would last forever, for all eternity. It is more of a spiritual understanding than a temporal understanding. You see, but as Peter begins to address the crowd, you're going to see that Peter understands fully now. Everything that he had heard Jesus teach 
Everything, not just him, but the disciples, Jesus' followers, everything begins to make sense to them. They begin to recall, oh, that's what he meant when he said this then. Here we understand. And you're going to see, as you've ever opened up the book of Acts, and, and you begin to read through, all the way through Jude, and you begin to see how the church is birth, and then how these letters were written to the churches to remind them of who they are in Christ, who Jesus is, to remind them to keep growing and maturing, to not give up, to not fall away from faith, no matter how hard it gets, to stay in Christ, to keep your eyes focused on Christ. Don't look at the temporalness of life, but keep your eyes on Christ and Him alone. You see, the gospel this message, the good news in which, as if you're a believer, you've been given to go and to share with others. To tell others of the one who came to set them free. And we've been talking a lot lately. The cross had to take place. And the cross was purposed even before the earth was laid. Because such great love had to be displayed to all creation. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, and we've been talking about this, it didn't take God by surprise. That had to occur. Because the cross was purpose. The cross. Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. You see, you weren't created just for the temporalness of life, for the here and now. No, you were created for eternity. You were created. God purposed your life. The Word of God says, even before you were born, God knew you and He formed you. He has prepared within you good works for you to do to reveal such great love from Him to others. See, this temporal life will beat you down. The things of this earth will consume you. And we always talk about it here because I always want to keep it in front of us. Your flesh only knows how to do one thing and that's to die. And that's why it craves the temporalness of this life. And that's why we're satisfied in our flesh just with the temporalness of life. And if we're not satisfied, then we hunger and we just want more and more and more. And we make life all about me, myself, and I. And I'll get my life. And I'll do what I want. You see, that's that old nature. That's the nature that you were born into. The nature that is separated from God. And God understood that. And that's why God had a plan and a purpose all along for the cross to be displayed. For his son Jesus to come. And to set mankind free from the oppressor, the enemy. The freedom that we have in Christ to no longer be enslaved to sin, to be bound by the flesh. You see, Jesus, when he died on that cross, he didn't remain dead. Amen. They buried him. But three days later, he rose again. And that's the key. That we, if you're a believer, that you celebrate every day of your life. Not just one time, but every day. That's the hope that we have. Because if he didn't raise from the dead, there would be no hope. We would still be enslaved to the old nature. But because he rose from the dead, there is freedom. 
Sin and death are defeated. Our lives can be transformed now. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. Your life can be transformed because of Christ. By accepting Him as Lord and Savior. By receiving the fullness of of life. When you accept Jesus as, as Lord and Savior, you submit to His Lordship. I'm not no longer living for myself. God, I want to live for you. We receive His Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within you. When you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to, to bring conviction to your heart. You live a life that re, that's of repentance. You repent of your sin. You see the, the consequences of sin in your life. It just brings destruction. And you want no part of it any longer. Listen, this isn't just words that I'm saying just to say them. This is truth of God's word. Throughout the generations, God has freed men and women throughout the earth and has used them as his witness to to, to reveal his glory and his love to people. I tell you all the time, I shouldn't be standing here with you all. I shouldn't even care about you all. I I should be dead. I went to take my life. I hated Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I was a drug addict. I was was bound by sexual addiction. I had a lot of anger and a lot of controlling issues in my life. I hated Jesus. I hated Christians. But God still loved me. Because the day I went to take my life on that couch, He stepped in. And the words were so clear to my heart. Today you'll live. And as soon as I heard those words, the pills were going to my mouth. I dropped the pills and my hands went up over my head. And the first words out of my mouth was, oh Jesus. And in that moment, something happened inside me. Something happened inside me. For the first time in my life, I acknowledged him. God. And I said to him, if this is real, then show me the way in which I ought to go. And how am I to live now? Because I know how I would live. And over time, and over time, and over time, he's been showing me how I'm to live now. No longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to addiction. No longer a slave to all this crap. I don't have to be a victim anymore of my childhood. I don't have to be a victim anymore of the abuse that I took. I don't have to be a victim anymore to the thoughts I was thinking. No, I had a newness of life now. I I had a fullness of understanding that God was for me. And if God loved me that much, that he would give his son for me. And then I started reading Jesus' words. Who is this Jesus? What did he have to say? And when I started reading his words, and I started seeing the authority that he had, when I started understanding, not of my own self, but by the Holy Spirit, you begin to have an understanding of the word of God. And you begin to understand the application, applying truth to your life. And so as I begin to grow, my, my whole my whole 
mindset, everything began to change, and I began to live differently. See, you can't do that yourself. I can't do that myself. Only God can do that. And so when we see the gospel being presented nowadays, watered down, stripped of, Jesus stripped of his power, and we make him this weird guy who's just handing muffins, handing muffins and hugs out to everyone, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He came and he even says, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you something. I'm not peddling some weird message out to you to make you a bunch of hippies. Everything's free and love and sex. Do what you want. That's not what his message is. No, Jesus' message is very clear. If you're going to live for me, understand this, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. Because just as I gave everything, you've got to lay your life down. See, he will never ask you for anything that he himself hasn't done. The Bible says no greater love than this that a man will lay down his life for his friend. Jesus laid his life down for you. He paid your punishment. See, we all deserve God's wrath because we were in rebellion towards God. You're not God. I'm going to live for me. I'm going to do for me. I'm going to live how I want. And we just keep pushing God away. Keep pushing God away. And we were set out to receive his wrath. But Jesus stepped in, all because God purposed it. Such great love revealed to us. Now we can receive his love. We don't have to receive his wrath. We don't have to choose his wrath. We don't have to choose to remain in rebellion towards him. Oh, you can, but why would you? Such great love you are. Such great love for you. No one will ever love you that way. No one, no man, no woman, no one will ever love you as much as God loves you. His love transforms your life. And then you in return become one who learns to love. Listen, I hated to love people. It was all about me. I loved to use people. I loved to do whatever I wanted to do to get whatever I needed to get to where I was going. Now for God to begin to work in me to learn how to love people, to care for people, genuinely care for people, in and of myself, I wouldn't do that. Only God can do that in someone's life. That we turn from ourselves and we turn to God. And so here's Peter. Here's Peter, this man, this disciple of Jesus, who walked with Jesus. And we've seen him time and time and time again. Question. We even saw last week where, where he was basically telling Jesus, listen, you don't have to die. You don't have to go through this. And Jesus turned around and rebuked him and said, Satan, get behind me. This guy, he was struggling and doubting really what was going on as he was following Jesus. Him and the rest of the disciples. They knew there was something different about Jesus. Okay, so he's the Messiah. But remember, he only, they were only searching for the Messiah of the temporalness of life. Free us from the Romans. We will fight with you to take over. They were missing it. But now he got it. Look at this. Then Peter, verse 14. Step forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. Remember, the crowd was out of control. 
They didn't know what was going on. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord, of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This was a prophecy spoken back in the Old Testament, way even before Jesus was born. And I challenged you before, if you really want to get the fullness of understanding, read through the Old Testament. I know it can be long and laborious, like, oh, you know, especially going through some of those books. But I'm telling you, when you begin to see God's plan revealed for the Messiah, when you begin to understand the prophecies that this man, Jesus, fulfilled, that was spoken years, years before he was even born, I told you all the time, no man could write this. And I know people would like to tell you that this is man's doing. Genesis to Revelation. Okay, but yes, man penned it, but it was inspired by God. Do you know how many throughout the centuries how this book has been tried to remove and destroy so that people, average people like me, like you, wouldn't even have it in our hands? Governments have tried to take it away. Kings have tried to, to, to remove it. And yet it has been preserved. It's inspired. It all fits together. No man, no committee could have sat down and pieced all these pieces together so perfectly. It is an incredible love story. From the beginning to the end. God revealing himself to mankind. Mankind, and why do you think there's such a, a battle against truth? And it will continue until he returns. That truth will constantly try to be perverted, people will constantly be coming against the truth. This message of love is being turned now and looked at as a message of hate. How crazy is that? But remember, you have the enemy. You have the world system, and you have the flesh of man trying to eradicate this word. Trying to keep us from truth. But it's the truth that will set you free. Peter is proclaiming this truth to this crowd. He goes on, verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew that would happen. Look at that. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. In his grip. 
King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad. My tongue shows, shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you have filled me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself. He died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. And King David's important because the Jews would have understood King David. And what Peter was explaining to them is that what King David was talking about was not himself, but of Jesus, the one that would come, who would defeat sin and death, who would bring life, the abundance life, to people of the earth. It says here in verse 10, But he was a prophet, and he knew God, had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as He had promised, gave Him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand, until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So that everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both the Lord and the Messiah. Look what happened. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Ah, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. 3,000 people received Jesus that day. Wow. Repent. And turn to God. Be baptized. It's, a, it's an understanding of, of recognizing your need for your Savior. A need for Jesus. Repentance. That's why you hear me always say, if you hear the gospel being preached and it keeps giving you the right to keep living however you want, you better run from it because that's not the gospel. You will never see that in the word of God. No matter what man or woman stands on a platform or stands before you and preaches you something different. You will never see that in the word of God. You will always see even Jesus himself's message was to repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from the ways of your flesh and turn to God. Trust in God and God alone. He, He will transform your life. 
And we understand this, that he does that by changing the way we think. As you think, so you live. And so if you're just thinking of yourself, that's how you'll live. But if you truly begin to trust in God, each and every single day, throughout your day, no matter where you are in life, He will begin to grow you and to mature you. Listen, your life is not meant to be perfect, but it is meant to grow. I want you to go to Colossians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you in James... Chapter 3, and it's going to be verse 1. We're going to see in the book of Mark today, Jesus again address sin. And how important it is that sin is not ruling and reigning in our lives. That we will not tolerate it as believers. And in James, you don't need to turn to James, Go to Colossians, but I wanted to remind you in James chapter 1. Verse 14 and 15 says, Temptation comes from our own desires which entices and drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. We talked about that, I believe, last week or at some point. Temptation, again, is not the sin. Is not sin. Temptation will always be something that may be presented to you throughout your day, but you're not to give in to it. You're to recognize it because you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, so you're living under His Lordship. Now, you can choose to give in to temptation and to go your way, but remember, why would you? Because you understand what sin does. Sin drags you to death. It hardens your heart. It entices you to continue to rebel against God. But if you're calling yourself a Christian, then you are to live differently. And you understand that temptation comes. But you don't have to get into it. And it comes from your own desires, from that old nature. Remember in Galatians, it talks about the flesh and the spirit. They war against each other inside you. But because you have freely given your life to Christ, you weren't forced. If you were a child of God today, if you're calling yourself a Christian and you've accepted Jesus Christ, He didn't force you to love Him. No, He revealed Himself to you, and because of such great love, you lay down your life to display such great love towards Him. So you're living differently now. So in Colossians, I love this, It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. It's living this new life. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, and this is important, you all. If you're sitting here today and you're not a a believer, I I want to encourage you to, to really ask the Lord to open your eyes, to open your heart, that you would hear and understand His message of freedom. Jesus Himself said, you must be born again of the Spirit. Listen, this life is not to be lived out in the flesh. It's a spiritual walk. It's a spiritual understanding. You've been born again. It's a new life. 
Seek him, the word of God says, and you will find him if you seek him with your whole heart. And look what it says here. You have been raised to new life with Christ. So set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor, and we see this again at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Remember, your life in Christ is not based on the temporalness of this life. You weren't meant for the temporalness of this life. You were meant for eternal things. We live here. We are here. He doesn't take us out of the world, but he allows us to remain in the world so that we can represent him to the world and reveal to the world such great love through Christ Jesus who was given to redeem mankind back to God. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. And you used to do these things when you were, your life was still part of this world. But now it is time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and to become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. So God chose you to be holy people, to be the holy people he loves. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace, and always be thankful. Let the message of Christ and all of its riches fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. A new life, you all. A whole new way of living. And this world will hate you for that, just as it hated Jesus. Yet, the world's craving love. Listen, within each of us, when we're born, we have a desire to just be accepted. To just to be loved. And yet that rebellious nature continues to destroy love. But Christ revealed love through the cross. Through him willingly laying his life down. And then in return he says, come follow me. I will show you the way of love. I will show you the way of life. And it doesn't matter, listen y'all, where you've been or what you've done. We have to hear that today. Because what the, what the flesh would like to do and the enemy would like to do is tell you how, um, how, how you're not good enough. And your past has basically destroyed you. 
and that there's nothing good in this world. And you just give up. Because really, how could God love me? Look how horrible I am. Listen, this is what I tell people all the time. The only time you ought to be in agreement with the devil is when he tries to remind you of your old nature. Listen, when the enemy comes and tries to torment my mind to remind me of my past, I've learned to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. I once was. But because of Jesus, this is who I am now. See the difference? I don't have to listen to those lies. I don't have to listen to people who, from my past who want to remind me of who I was. No, I can tell them who I am now because of Jesus. I don't have to listen. I can come into an agreement and say, you're so right. This is who I was. Or even if I slip and I, and I mess up nowadays and, and the enemy comes and says, oh, look, you're a pastor. Look, oh, you messed up. I don't have to stay down. I can get up and go, wait a minute. My God is for me and not against me. I don't have to listen to your lies any longer. You're right. I screwed up. I messed up again. But I can get up because the Bible says that a righteous man falleth, but he gets right back up. You keep persevering. You keep going. See, because in this life, you're going to have trials, the Word of God says. In this life, things are going to happen to you. Jesus himself said, in this world, in this temporal world, you will have trouble. But here's the good news. Jesus says, but be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. This world has no hold on you because you belong to me. I keep you in this world so that you would represent me. I know the days of your life, they're numbered. But rest assured, I'm for you and not against you. Trials are going to come, but they're not there to destroy you. They're there to equip you, to make you stronger in your faith. The Bible says that we are to persevere when things start pressing up against us. The Bible says to start persevering. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't listen to the lies that's in your head and to what other people say. Get up from that place and say, I need hope. I want to live. I don't want to die. I don't want to stay stuck. No, I can persevere. God, what does your word say? What is truth? Because your word says that the truth will set me free, and I long to be free. And so you persevere, and the word of God says as you persevere, he builds your character. He makes you more like him. And in from character, the Word of God says, then hope is established. And that hope is in Jesus. And your hope in Jesus will never disappoint you, no matter what your life is doing. Your hope. And I was challenged with that this week. Like for the past two years, it feels like I just keep being beaten down. It's one thing after another, after another, and after another. I have to hook myself up to this heart monitor every day. I hate it. I had to hear my doctor yet again tell me another, oh, there's possibility you have cancer in your body. I had been in extreme pain, tormented with, with chronic pain for over a year and a half. And I praise God that he freed me from that pain. But it's been one thing after another. Everything. Watching families spin out of control. 
Watching people that I love just destroy each other. Watching finances kind of just dwindle. Watching things just run out of control. And if I wanted to, I could give up. I could give in. I could go back to my old ways. I could go back and choose to do whatever and just react to all of this. I can continue to, to, to focus on what the enemy is saying and what my flesh is saying. There's no God. You're a fool to believe what you believe. See, that's how I've been tormented this week. But I choose not to listen to him. I choose to get up and go throughout my day and say, oh, devil, you're a liar. Flesh, you're not going back anywhere. Because what took place on that couch, I would have never have done that. I would have killed myself. I should be in the grave. I should be dead. And then as I think about that, I say, well, I am dead. Because I'm dead to my old life and I'm alive in Christ. So do whatever you feel you need to do to press up against me. Because the more you press up against me, the more I'm going to preach and to teach his truth. And to uphold truth. No matter if people rail against me, assault me, hit me, whatever. Because listen, we have brothers and sisters who have died for their faith. The, the disciples died for their faith. They were martyrs. We got brothers and sisters around the world dying because they're Christians. And I said, I'm not going to let temporal things define me. If I must be stripped of everything, then so be it, God. My life will still honor you. You see, we got to get to a place, y'all, that the temporalness of life doesn't drag us back to the old ways. Like we grow up. No matter what your age is. No matter where you're at on your walk with God. Because we're all at different places. And if you're sitting here today and you haven't given your life to God, then understand this. He's revealing himself to you so that you would come to him. You could choose not to, but why would you choose to receive his wrath and not his love? And that's why the church is so important. Because we're doing life together. No matter our ages. No matter where we've been, what we've done. We know who we were before and who we could be if we lived for ourselves. But we come collectively together as a family, as a church, and we say, you know what? We're here for each other. We're here for each other. We will encourage each other. We will edify each other. And we will build each other up. We will pray for one another. We will serve one another. And the world out there will see our love for one another and they will know that we belong to Him. The church. That's why we don't forsake the fellowship of meeting together. That we come and we link arms together and say, brother, sister, in Christ we stand. Let's honor Him. Let's live for Him. Go to Mark chapter 9. The church. 
I can't help but to keep thinking about the church every time I open up the book of Mark. This gospel was written to the church in Rome, and I'm going to continue to bring this back to us each time we open up a chapter to remind ourselves. This book was written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned for the church to encourage them. This church in Rome was going through intense persecution. The government hated Christians. The Roman people hated Christians. The culture in itself in Rome hated anything that had to do with the message of Jesus. And yet, the church was there to be a light to the people that hated them. Remember the government? I told you. At this time, the government would crucify Christians, put them on crosses, hang them, hang them from their crosses throughout the streets, and then light them on fire at night to illuminate the city. Christians. This is a time when Christians were dragged into arenas. The crowds would fill the stadium. Animals would be released to devour and to rip apart Christians. This is what the church was facing. The Roman culture was a very perverted culture. The culture was not, was not lining up anywhere along with God's truth, and yet Christians were among this culture to represent Christ. And this book was given to them, this letter was written for them to encourage them to remain faithful. Don't give up on Jesus. No matter how hard it is, no matter what you're facing, don't give up. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he, what he has accomplished. Remember that he is returning. Now keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter how hard it gets, keep focused on Jesus. And so we've seen, as we're going through this gospel, Mark laying out this understanding of Jesus' life and who he is to encourage these believers and so we pick up in Mark chapter 9 today, and Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. <clears throat> Powerful understanding of God's truth. He was giving them an understanding that there will be some standing here right now will not die until they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. And many different commentaries, many different you know, theologians, people who study scripture have different understandings of this, but one thing they all agree on is that they're not talking about Jesus' second return. Because we know all the disciples died. We know followers of Christ have died throughout the generations. And so what this understanding of what they come to... Uh, agreement on if you would some have different points of view is that the different times that throughout from this time on where Christ revealed such great understanding of, of authority of his teachings of, of what we're about to read about his transfiguration where these three saw Jesus in such a way and we'll talk about that in a minute 
that revealed His glory? Some also think about the time that they were alive after His resurrection. And they've seen the, the resurrected Christ, the risen Christ. But whatever Jesus may have meant, one thing is for sure. These men, before they took their last breath, saw the kingdom of God arrive in great power. Listen, the things of Christ are not weak. And to make him weak, to strip him down to where he's nothing is wrong. No, we need to see God for who he is. And as I said to you before, I'll say it again. As you see him, so you'll live for him. And if he's a weak God, you'll be a weak man. And you'll be a weak woman. You'll give in to everything that's out there and do anything that you want because your God in your eyes and in your understanding is weak. But when you see him for how great that he is, how powerful he is, you'll understand the authority that has been given to you as a believer. You understand, as Ephesians talks about, that your fight is not against flesh and blood. Your fight is against the principalities and rulers in the air of the darkness that you can't see. And I'm sick of the occult having more understanding of the spiritual realm than Christians. It's really sad that the occult knows more about the spiritual realm than Christians. Before Christ, that's all I lived in was was in the occult. I run amok with crazy stuff. I've seen things. I've done things. And somehow I thought that was all powerful. But when I came to Christ and I realized just where even that power was coming from, everything comes from God. He's created everything for His purpose and His purpose alone. The enemy has no power. He's been defeated. He's been stripped. And what he's allowed to wield and and allowed to, 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 to do... It's all purpose of God. To bring about the glory of God. Nothing. The enemy thought that he could rise up above God's throne, but he couldn't. And even the demons know that there's a time coming where they will go to their final place in hell. And yet, Christians don't even understand The spiritual realm. The authority and the power that's been given to Christians to cast out demons, to pull down strongholds, to press up against the forces of darkness in prayer, that there's a way in which we are to live now. We're not weak people. You see, love is powerful. When love is displayed, powerful. We're no longer to be controlled by the things of this world any longer. Such great power has been displayed and so that same power should be displayed in and through your life daily as a believer. You should be praying for your loved ones. The Bible says he's given you the weapons of your warfare to demolish strongholds. You should be serving others. You see, the ways of Christ are not the ways of this world. See, the world will tell you how you should live to reflect authority or power. Huh. Jesus says, you want to be great? Be last. Serve. Jesus, the greatest servant of all. That's what he came to show us. Serve. 
love others. You want to win? You want to have victory over the, the controlling things of life? Serve others. Love others. You want not to be tormented from the enemy? Get up from darkness and come into my light. Let me show you how to live. Great power displayed. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And, he, and if you notice, he keeps taking these three with him. But like we said before, one thing we understand in the Jewish custom is that in order for a testimony to be given, there has to be three witnesses. And these were kind of Jesus' inner circle, if you would, of the disciples, these three. So they went with him. He led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Wow. He brings these three men up to the mountain. And all of a sudden, his glory, such great light is coming from him. And then Moses and Elijah, two men from the Old Testament, appear. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because, I like this, he didn't really know what else to say. For they were all terrified. These three men look up. And all of a sudden, Jesus' light is coming from Jesus. Such great light. Such white light. And then there's Elijah. One of these great prophets. And then there's Moses. These men were terrified. So let's build these shelters. He didn't know what else to say. He just responded. God's glory was revealed to them. Then the cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said... This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had just seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. See what I told you? At this time, they had no understanding. They were looking for this earthly Messiah. They were looking for just a man to come into power to make everything better for their nation. Jesus all along kept pointing them to truly who he was, who his mission was, and they just received this and witnessed such incredible transfiguration. Like, all of a sudden, light is coming, man. He's revealing himself. He's getting them. He's preparing them for what's to come. Remember, we open up in Acts. Peter's preaching this powerful sermon. Oh, he got it then. He knew exactly now who Jesus was. Why do you think these men 
where we see them in the Gospels run when Jesus is arrested, now in the book of Acts, and from then on, we see them all with such great boldness proclaiming God's truth, even when they're told to shut up, even when they're told when they're beaten, when they're imprisoned, even to the point of when they're being martyred for their faith, they will not be quiet. Because they got it. It has nothing to do with the temporalness of life. It has all to do with eternity. All to do with eternity. This world is not our home. They recognized it, finally. Here they didn't. What is he talking about? Why does he keep talking about him rising from the dead? What kind of Messiah is this? These people can't kill him. We're putting our hope in him to, to overthrow the government. To free us. To give us everything we want. And he keeps talking about himself dying. Then they asked him, Why do teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah indeed is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet, why do scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? See what Jesus did there? Man, I love Jesus' words. They're asking one thing about Elijah, and Jesus says, listen, focus on me. Because just as you're asking and you're pinpointing what scriptures or prophecy has said about Elijah, understand what it says about me, that I will suffer greatly and I will be treated with utter contempt. And then he gets back to them. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him just as the scripture predicted. And then in Matthew chapter 17, if you want to go there real quick, verse 11, it's the same part of Scripture, but it's just in Matthew. This transfiguration, this, this experience that these three disciples experienced with Jesus. But I want you to get an understanding of who Jesus is talking about to them, because Matthew takes it a little bit further than Mark. In verse 11, Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. But he wasn't, re- re- he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. And we also understand in Revelations that the actual prophet Elijah will appear again before Jesus' return. But I didn't want us to misunderstand what Jesus was saying here to them. That he was referring to that John the Baptist was like the, uh, the prophet Elijah in this day that he came to prepare the way for the Lord. And the preparation for the Messiah has already taken place. So it's interesting that at this point, Matthew points out the disciples understood, wait a minute, he's speaking of John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist, before Jesus showed up on the scene, John the Baptist was already baptizing people, preparing the way of the Lord. 
When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers, here we go again, of the religious law were arguing with them. Listen, religious people love to argue with Christians. They'll call themselves Christians. They'll talk about Jesus. But all they all are religion, religious. They just, have, they just have works that they do. They don't have a relationship with God. And just as these men did then, so it happens today. These religious men were arguing with the disciples. <clears throat> when the crowd saw Jesus, they were all overwhelmed and with awe, and they ran to greet him. And Jesus asked, what is all this arguing about? One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He was possessed by an evil spirit and won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus' response, you faithless people. He was looking at the crowd, he was looking at the religious people, and he was looking at those disciples. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring this boy to me. Wow. A strong rebuke, if you would. You faithless people. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsions, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Jesus says, How long has this been happening? The boy's father replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is, is possible if a person believes. And I love verse 24. The father instantly cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Oh, what a prayer to pray. I do believe, God, but help me overcome my unbelief. What are you facing today? What are you facing in your life today? Or, or what will happen this week that's going to challenge your faith in Christ if you're a Christian? How are you going to respond? In faith? And if your faith is weak, are you going to respond and ask? I keep encouraging you, if you're, if you're seeing things in your life that you know you need to grow in, you need to mature in, you're lacking in, ask God for it. God, help me with my unbelief. God, help me to trust even more. God, help me to love even more. Whatever is lacking, God, I need wisdom for this day as I open up your word. That will be clear to me. This man cried out, I do believe, but help me. Huh. 
When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead, and a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, He's dead! But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Praise God. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house of his disciples, they asked him, Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, This kind can be cast out only by prayer. I think a lot of times we try as Christians too much in our own strength to minister to others. See, how's our prayer life, you all? See, being a Christian, remember this walk now is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You've accepted Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit. This walk now has to be walked out in the Spirit. The Word of God says, if you walk habitually, continually in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul even had to ask the church, what are you doing living it out in the flesh what you received in the Spirit? It doesn't work. We are called to prayer. And we're called to pray without ceasing. Your life now as a believer, as you're growing, you're learning new spiritual disciplines. That's why you must be discipled. You need to have accountability in your life with other believers. We're holding the standard of truth to each other. We're encouraging each other. We ought to be a praying people. We're expecting things to get accomplished in our life and we're not even praying. We're not even depending on God, we're depending on ourselves. Pretending to look godly to others. But how much time are you in prayer? There's spiritual disciplines. Again, as believers that we ought to be growing in. Prayer, fasting, devotional times, fellowship, serving, understanding our gifts. Each of you have a gift that God has given you, if not many different gifts. But those gifts are not to be used for yourself. No, they're there to serve the church, to build the church. You should know which gifts that you've been given. If you don't know your gifts, then call me and let's sit down. And I'll walk you through this incredible understanding of what gifts are inside you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts. The prayer you all. The discipline of prayer is vital. The discipline of studying His Word is vital. Think about it. Have you ever opened up the Word of God and became tired? Bored with it? Is that making sense? Listen, I'm not an educated man. I hated to study. I hated to read. I dropped out of school mid part of 10th grade. But now, I love to read. I love to study. I love to write. 
I wish I could go back and finish school. But I love the fact that God has given me the desire to know His truth. But I remember when I first became a Christian, I would open up the Bible, I would be like, none of this makes sense. And I would get tired within just a few minutes and push it aside and fall asleep. And then I would wonder why the next day I would just be beaten down left and right. And the Holy Spirit kept encouraging me to get back in the Word. To get back in the Word. And then I remembered in my beginning formative years as, as a Christian... I could sit and I can watch a movie for two and a half hours and not fall asleep. I could do other things and not fall asleep. And then it hit me when it came to spiritual things, when it became to the newness of the life I'm ought to be living, I kept feeling a resistance. And then I realized, ah, I get it. My flesh doesn't desire me to grow as a spiritual man. The world doesn't desire me to grow as a spiritual man. And the enemy surely doesn't desire... To grow me as a spiritual man. See, it's a choice. It's a choice each and every each and every day to humble yourself and submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus. Teach me, God. So when I would get tired, I would open up my Bible. When my flesh started wanting to get tired, I would say, "Oh no, you're going to read today." And I would get up and I would walk and I would just read. It wouldn't make sense to me at first, but I would just keep reading. And then I would read out loud. And it began to build this discipline within my life. Praying's the same way. You go to pray and before you know it, you're asleep. Or you go to pray and all of a sudden you have this list of things that you need to get done for the week. Or you go to pray and there's distractions, there's noises, there's all this stuff going on. Listen, your spiritual life is not going to come without resistance. But resistance is needed so you can build the muscle. So you can build your spiritual life. You need that resistance, but you've got to push back. Why couldn't we do it, Jesus? Yeah, this can only be done through prayer. Leaving the region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where he was, that he was there, or anyone to know he was there. For he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and to teach them. Remember, he's going to the cross. Jesus' ministry has begun to shift now. In the beginning, he was revealing himself. He was teaching with great authority. He was healing people. I mean, they were seeing incredible miracles. But Jesus knows the time is coming. The cross is at hand. And so he begins to try to get more time alone with them to prepare them for what's ahead. So he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. And look again. They didn't understand what he was saying. However, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. So here he is bringing it back to them. The Son of Man has to suffer. I'm going to be betrayed. I am going to die. But on the third day, I will rise up from the dead. And instead of wanting to say, but teacher, what are you saying? Give us understanding. They don't. But then they begin to argue with each other as we're about to see who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. Let's see, that's just how we are in the flesh. We're missing. They had an opportunity. 
to gain understanding, just as we do. But sometimes we can get so spiritual that we really miss out on what the Holy Spirit's trying to teach us. So after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in the house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you all discussing out there on the road? But they didn't answer because they had begun, they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be a servant of everyone else. Spiritual teaching, you all, to the flesh makes no sense. That's why sometimes you can sit in church and feel bored, feel distracted. You're not really understanding it. Spiritual truths are being presented. Are we getting it? Are we hearing? If you're going to be first, you must be last. And become a servant to everyone. I'm telling you all, Jesus shows us the way in which we ought to go. How we are to live. There's such great understanding and fullness of love and of power being displayed through Jesus. I'm going to show you how to live in this world, you all. As my followers, I'm going to show you how to represent me. Don't go after the ways of this world. They will destroy you. Come my way and you'll live. It's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. So if you want to be great... Below. To the world, that makes no sense. But if you understand the spiritual aspect of things, oh, it makes great sense. Then he put a little child among them. Taking a child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Again, Jesus is laying out this incredible spiritual understanding, and yet these guys are still aren't getting it, because look what they say. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. What? Are you not getting it? Again, the same with us. We sit in church, the preacher's preaching, these spiritual truths that can impact our lives and transform our lives, and yet we're so caught up in everything else. Listen, we've got to get our eyes and our attention focused on Jesus. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's laying out this incredible truth, and John wants to let him know, hey, we're going to try to keep this all inclusive. It's just us. It's just us. And so this guy out here is trying to use your name, but we told him he wasn't part of our group. And Jesus is like, don't stop him, Jesus said. Don't tell that man to stop. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. 
But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. See, we're closing. We're coming to the end for today. But before I go any further, I need to encourage you all. Pay attention for a minute. Because Jesus is doing something here. In these words. Remember I went to Colossians earlier? Remember I pointed out the understanding that sin, we're not to tolerate sin in our lives. Stop making excuses for sin in your life. It's destructive, it'll destroy you. And it won't only destroy you, but it'll destroy all those around you. It'll destroy your life. It'll destroy my life. And I know it's popular nowadays for churches not to preach about sin or preach about hell. (laughs) But I'm telling y'all, we can't strip God's word of his truth. Jesus taught about it. (laughs) So if Jesus taught about it, I think we ought to listen to what Jesus is saying. He tells them, those who belong to me, they come to me like faith, like a child. You know, you could, a little child, you could take their hand and, and they'll, go with, they'll go with you. Uh, they'll follow. They're so innocent. The Bible says to come to Christ, you've got to come like a child. You've got to have faith like a child. I don't get all of this, God, but I'll follow you. I'll put my hand in your hand and I'll receive the salvation that you give me and I'll, I'll accept the love that you have for me and I'll follow you. I don't understand it, but by faith I'll believe I'm here. And Jesus says, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck if you calls someone to sin. That's a horrible description of tying this heavy stone around your neck <laughs> and throwing yourself into the sea and, be, and, drown, and drowning. He said it would be better for you You see, the wrath of God is nothing to play around with. God's wrath, these sin, God's wrath is coming to this earth. And I keep asking you all and asking myself, why would I choose his wrath over his love? Because if I'm in Christ, if I'm in Christ, I'm saved. If I have received this free gift of salvation... And I trusted in him. I'm I'm saved in Christ. And I'm going to experience his wrath because Jesus took that wrath for me. But if I'm going to continue to sin and to live my life however I want, understand this. That is your choice. And remember, we talked about this before. Because a lot of people will say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? Oh, no, no, no. A loving God does not send people to hell. He loves you enough to give you the right to choose hell. He loves you enough to say, here I am, I'm revealing myself to you, how are you going to respond? Do you love me? 
Do you love me? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your, all of your strength. Do you love me, he says. Yes, God. Or, no, God. You're not God. I'm going to live for me. Screw you. It's all about me today, God. I'm going to do whatever I want, God. Do all me. I'll hurt whoever I want and destroy whoever I want in my path to get what I want. Okay. He loves you enough to let you go. In Romans 1, he says he turns men and women over to what they desire. Here, that's what you want? Let that be your God then. But in the end, that's it. You will experience utter eternal torment in hell. See, hell was never created for mankind. God's will is that none should perish. But He loves you enough to allow you to make the choice. Either you love Him or you don't. But you trip up someone who's coming to Christ and you confuse them, you distort truth in them, you're going to be held accountable for that. He says it's best that you deal with yourself now than for me to deal with you. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gorge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. This is Jesus teaching about hell. So, I know the popular gospel and the popular preachers nowadays, they don't like to talk about hell. They like to erase hell, but they can't erase Jesus' words. Jesus knows the condition of man. That's why he came to, re- to redeem man, to free man from hell. You don't have to go to hell. God loves you so much. God loves you so much that he laid his life down for you. He said, I'll pay the payment. I'll take the punishment for you. Now, in understanding this, Jesus isn't talking about literally cutting off your hand, cutting off your foot, or gorging out your eye. What he's laying out here is this understanding. Because Jesus understands, because we already know. Where does sin come from? From the desires that are from within. It doesn't come from your hand, your foot, and your eye. The desires come from within. So when you look at the understanding of what Jesus is teaching here, be careful where your feet lead you. Be careful what your hands touch. And be careful what your eyes see. Because where your feet lead you, what your hands touch, and what your eyes see can ultimately affect you. So whatever those things are, that your hands are quick to go to, that your eyes are quick to look upon, that your feet are quick to go to, ought to be eradicated from your life. Again, it's not the physical hands, it's not the physical feet, it's not the physical eye. It's those things that the desires that are from within, that you're luring to, 
that you need to deal with. You need to deal with the sin in your heart. You need to repent and to turn to God. And remember, it's not a one-time little prayer. No, it's an everyday lifestyle. It's a prayer every day. For everyone will be tested with fire, Jesus says. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. Jesus says you must have the qualities of salt. And you must live in peace with each other. It's incredible teaching you all that he has laid out. Sin is destructive. He's revealing himself time and time and time again to his disciples. And just as to the disciples he does to us, and how are we responding? How are we hearing this? Are we even getting an understanding? Are we even motivated to say, wait a minute, is there something more to God that I've never given thought to before? You see, truth sets us free. And listen, I'm not impressed by the world any longer. I'm not impressed with the world. My heart is broken for them. I'm not impressed with what the world can accomplish because the accomplishments of the world are only temporal. And the temporal things of this earth are fading away. Look at the news. People are here today and gone tomorrow. People are putting their hope in the things of this earth and of this world. We were coming back from a movie last night in a horrible car accident. I'm sure those people died. Those cars were just gone. And I thought, they probably were just coming home from a movie. They probably were out just doing whatever they do. And did they know you, God? Did they enter into eternity with you? I see each of us. Each of us is going to have to stand before God and give an account of our lives. Each of us. And either he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. Or he'll look at us and say, depart from me, I don't know you. And the Bible says that there are even be those at that point who will look at Jesus and say, but didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we do this? Didn't we feed the poor? Didn't we do this? And Jesus is like, you workers of sin, I don't even know you. Oh, God, help us. Let that not be said about any of us in this room today. Let it not be said that we will stand before Jesus and be told to depart from him for eternity. What? Why would we choose his wrath over his love? Such great love that can transform you. Again, I don't care where you're at today or where you've been or what you've done. We're all born sinners. We're all born to rebellion towards God. But Jesus came to set us free. And I pray that you would receive him if you haven't received him. And I pray that if you have received him, that you would grow up in him, that you would mature, that you would not lose faith, that you would not wander off back into the world, but you would remain rooted into Christ and all that he has for you. I'm going to close with the song that I opened up with, and then I'll close this in prayer.